Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app available for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace Church 417 in your app store and follow along. And now for our message. Let's get into the word this morning. If you have a Bible or a device, would you turn to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. This is a portion of Scripture that's usually reserved, uh, or not reserved, but usually focused on it during Advent, or when we're talking about the coming of Jesus at Christmas time. Um, Luke 1, it tells the story of the coming of this person called the Forerunner, who is John the Baptist, and he has not a miraculous birth in the same way that Jesus' birth is miraculous, but it is nonetheless a a phenomenally good uh, story about how God does a miracle in the lives of this man named Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth and how they together are able to be blessed by the Lord with this young man. They are childless, they're older, they're devout, righteous people, but they don't have any kids, and yet God allows them to come together and to conceive this baby boy named John. So in the beginning part of Luke chapter 1, after the introduction, uh, we learn that Zechariah is a priest and that it is his turn to go into the... um, to go into the temple to burn incense before the altar of incense. And so he's inside doing this priestly duty, and, his, uh, and there are others outside at this particular hour called the hour of incense, and they're praying at the same time. So while they're outside praying, Zachariah is on the inside, and he is offering incense before this altar. And during that time, an angel appears to him. And when the angel appears, he does what every angel, nearly every angel in the, in the Scriptures does. He says to Zechariah, don't be afraid which is a really hard thing when you think about that. If you saw an angel, I think it would be a natural thing to be afraid. Amen? Like, would you be afraid if you saw an angel? You guys are lying. Both times I've seen an angel, I was afraid. No, I'm just kidding. I've never seen an angel, but I mean, if I saw an angel, I would be freaked out. And they always say the same thing. Hey, don't be freaked out even though that's kind of an impossible thing. But he is able to control himself in the presence of the angel, and the angel begins to just unfold and talk about what is going to happen in the life of this little boy named John. He says, you and your wife, you're going to have a kid, and this child's name is going to be John. And it says, starting in verse 14, let's look at it together. It says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah gets this full download from the angel. In verse 14, he's told, your son's going to be great. Isn't that a wonderful word? Wouldn't you like to be told before you had your kids, if you have kids, your kid's going to be great. This is what they're told. You're going to have a great son, and he shouldn't drink alcohol because he's going to be a Nazarite. We learn that later. He can't drink alcohol, strong drink, wine, or anything like that. And then he says, amazingly, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time that he's in his mother's womb, And which I think is fascinating. It's not part of this series, but when we're talking about the Holy Spirit all these weeks, we've been working through that. It's just awesome to understand that God can actually do that that a child has the capacity in the womb to be filled with the Spirit. And we see that take place later in the narrative as Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is about six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist in, is it in utero? Is that how you say it? In, you know, in, in the, 
in the oven, when, when, when John is in there, he hears the voice of Mary speaking to Elizabeth, and the baby jumps inside of him. Uh, him. I'm really messed up. Hold on. <laughs> Babies don't jump inside of hymns. The baby jumps inside of her, and it's the Holy Spirit prompting him. That's the voice of the one that's carrying the Messiah. So from the very earliest time of his conception, John is filled with the Holy Spirit. God uses children powerfully powerfully. They don't have to be old to be used by God. Anyone can be used by God, including being filled with the Spirit, even as a baby inside of a mother. So the first part, verse 15, is kind of his identity. He's going to be great. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 16 and 17 in chapter 1 is what he's going to do. It's five things. He's going to turn many to the Lord. He's going to go before the Lord like Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to children. He's going to turn the disobedient to the way of wisdom, the way of the righteousness, and he will make people ready for the Lord. He's going to, he's going to get everyone ready for the, the message of the Messiah, for the person of Jesus. He is the forerunner. We'll talk about that just a little bit later. Remember from uh, earlier teachings this year, his identity is established first, and then his purpose flows out of it. God says, through the angel, this is what's going to happen with your son. This is who he is, and this is what he is going to do. Purpose always flows out of identity. Now, just put yourself in Zachariah's shoes for a moment, or sandals. Just think about it for just a second. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. You're being obedient. You're burning incense. You're being, you know, part of the priesthood. You're a good man. You're a devout man. You're a Christ follower, a God follower. You're doing everything you're supposed to do, but you don't have any kids. And an angel shows up and says, you're not only going to have a child. Like, he doesn't just show up and say, hey, guess what? You're going to have a kid. He essentially shows up and says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a, ch a kid that's going to help change the whole spiritual landscape of the earth. He's going to come in and be such a transformational part of what I am doing in this era that people will remember him down through the years. That God will actually say about him, God in the flesh actually says, among those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. This is the kid that you're having. Not like, hey, you're going to have a little boy. It's you're going to have this spiritual powerhouse come out of a relationship that you and your wife have naturally, and it hasn't even happened yet. This child's not even conceived, and yet I'm telling you what his ministry is going to be when he is an adult. Powerful. No wonder Zachariah was afraid. No wonder Zachariah doubted, because that's what happens next in the narrative, right? Starting in verse 18, it's, you know, Zachariah does one of those I don't know how that can happen. I don't understand. How can this be? How can, you know, I'm an old person. I can't have, and his, his consequence, we won't call it a punishment, but the consequence of his lack of faith is what? He no longer can speak. And so he has to communicate this vision that he has seen to his wife, hand motions, writing it down, whatever. He doesn't speak again till John is born. And what are the first words out of his mouth once he is able to speak again? His name is John. Yeah, he finally gets to, to, to give the directive that he's been given by the angel. You're going to name him John. That's the first thing he says. His name is John. And then he begins to speak and praise, and he prophesies amazing prophecy later in uh, the Gospel of Luke. I have a question for you. This is the whole point of this morning. How do you think Zechariah and Elizabeth raised John? Like, Given that they know these intense, vivid details about his calling, about his ministry, about the importance of his life, how do you think they raised him? Like, do you think they were extra careful? Raise your hand if you think they were probably pretty careful about how they raised this kid. 
Yeah, I hope so. I mean, they don't want to mess it up, right? They've got this, he came out a little baby. It's not like he came out in, you know, camel skin eating bugs and, or camel's hair eating bugs and saying repent. He came out a little boy and they had to raise him. So they get him for whatever number of years, 18, 20 years, till he goes out into the wilderness to begin his ministry. They had to be really careful with him. They had to be really intentional about what they did with him because he had this incredibly important calling. I would guess they were very intentional about what they taught him about the world that he lived in. That he, they, didn't ca- they didn't paint a picture of the world as being a, a place of hopelessness, but rather a place that needed light and that he was going to be sent into it. I, I, would, I would imagine that they, that they taught him what they knew, and of course, Zechariah was a priest, so what they knew about God, what they knew about Torah, what they knew about the, the ways of the law. They probably taught him to have a respect for the people of God and the things of God. That's probably a reasonable assumption. My assumption about their talking is that they were very specific about what they told him about himself. Like, I don't, I don't think it would have been wise for them to avoid it. I bet from the time he was a little insect eater walking around, I'm just saying that because, you know, he eats locusts later, right? You know, like kids pick up bugs and eat them. They were like, go ahead. <laughs> You're going to do it later anyway. You might as well get, develop the taste, you know. So, he... But I'm guessing, I'm sorry, I'm distracting. I'm guessing that when he's five, six years old, they're starting to say, hey, God has a plan for you, something big. I mean, I don't think they laid the whole thing on him. That would have been kind of heavy. But God has a plan for you, buddy. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna make a difference in this world. You're going to play a part in God's plans for redeeming all of humanity. And, and, and we'll tell you more later, you know, and he's probably like, okay, can I, can I go play now? And runs off. And a couple years later, a little bit more, a couple years later, I believe that they cultivated in his understanding his calling, his purpose, and his value. That they were telling him all the time, hey, God's got his hand on you. God's got his hand on you, buddy. And I don't think that they were afraid, um, but they would have certainly been extra mindful and deliberate about shaping this young man's life because God had big things for him to do. Now, I know that John is an exception. I know that not everybody gets an angelic visitation for their children. Not everybody gets that kind of a unique assignment. Not everybody's child has Old Testament prophecy written about him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 is written specifically about John the Baptist where it says, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That was written hundreds of years before John was conceived. That is a kind of an unusual situation. It's not ordinary. John the Baptist is the prophetic herald of the once and forever messianic entrance into time and space. It only happens once. I get that. I know it's, it's not ordinary. But I want to ask you a couple questions this morning. It's not the same calling as John the Baptist, but hasn't God called every one of us in some way or another? Has he not placed his hand upon every person to do something significant that affects eternity? Does he not have a divine purpose for every child? Is it not within his scope to empower and send every one of us to do his will with our lives? The answer, of course, is yes, and the Lord is not partial. The Lord is not a respecter of persons, it says in the Scriptures, which means that the lives of our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews and all the people that are nieces and nephews, but they're not really related to us, and our friends' kids and everybody that we have influence over, their lives are as important and as purpose-filled as John's. 
The call is different. The value and the potential is not. And my guess is that Zachariah and Elizabeth were incredibly intentional raising John because he played, would play such an important role in the unfolding of God's plans for the earth. But that is also true for our children and our grandkids. So when you, when you look at your kids, when you look at your grandkids, when you look at your, the children that you have influence over, your nieces and nephews, when you look at them, is it hard to imagine that you're raising John? It was with our kids. Other than yelling a lot and liking water, they have nothing in common with John the Baptist. But we're raising John's. Whether we realize it or not, it's not because of his, that is, the Lord's lack of desire to use them that they don't develop necessarily and fulfill those plans. We are raising children who have the ability and potential and calling to impact the world in which they live. Our children are a gift from God, not just to bless our lives, but to fulfill His plans. In Christ, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews are destined to make a difference in the lives of others for eternity. That is God's will, period. It's His will for you and it's His will for them. And it's not because they're prophetically yelling repent at the playground trying to baptize their friends. It's not that. It's not because they're going to all be just like John the Baptist, but they may end up being nurses that pray over, like I have nurse friends that pray over their patients and pray for healing and minister while they do their work. I know people that work construction, they're craftsmen, and they, they minister, they share the gospel as they do the work that they do. I have friends that, that feed people. That's part of the job. They want to feed them physically because they want to also feed them spiritually. There are people that, that teach others to read because it's a good thing to know how to read, but especially so that they may read the Word of God. We don't know what our kids are going to be called to do. They certainly are not all going to follow the path of John the Baptist, even remotely, but they are all called to make a difference. And you're called to raise them. I'm called to raise them like Zechariah and Elizabeth, to treat them like John. And so I want to encourage you this morning, before we pray together, I want you to, I want you to think about how you influence children, whether they're your kids or grandkids or whoever's kids they are, the kids that you're around. Think about how you influence kids. What do you say about the world that we live in? I'll just be blunt with you for a moment. I feel like Christians, Christ followers that I know, so many of them are so down and negative about everything. And believe me, I get it. There's plenty to be down and negative about. But I don't want to scare my children. I don't want to scare those that I have influence over. I want them to see there are opportunities to be light and darkness, to bring life where there is death, to bring the fragrance of salvation where there's only the odor of decay. That's what we're called to do. I want to frame the world of the child that I'm influencing in such a way that they see that they have the opportunity to make a difference. I want to teach kids. I want us to teach our children the truths about God, to be people of the Word, to be people that are led by the Spirit, to be people that respect the institutions of the church, not because they're perfect, but because they're God's and they're His bride. I want us to be people, and I think this is so important, that we speak into and over the lives of our children what is true about them. And parents, you know things about your kids, good things and not so good things, but you know things about your kids. If you pay attention to your children, you know things about their lives. You can see in almost a prophetic way some of what's going to be happening in their lives later. And I'm not saying specifics necessarily, but I just know about some of my kids, like, I just know, and I will affirm those things in my children's lives. I encourage you to do the same thing. 
You may not get an angelic visitation like Zechariah did to be able to shape with specificity, but what you can do is say, I know these things about you, and I want you to walk in the calling that God has given you and nurture that thing and speak that thing and encourage that thing so that they are comfortable understanding that they have a purpose beyond their own desires. And finally, most importantly, and this was most important for Zachariah and Elizabeth, is just to live what you want them to live out. More is caught than taught. So if you say all the right things but don't really live, if I say all the right things but don't really live out my faith in a way that is vibrant and life-giving in front of my children, all of my words are not worth very much. Amen? So just living it out, just being the person that I'm supposed to be before my kids, being humble when I make a mistake, being bold where I know I need to make a stand. I think that's what God wants us to do for our kids because we're all raising John the Baptists, whether we accept that, believe that or not. We are all raising them. And I want us to do a good job because our world needs some transforming, does it not? And it's gonna happen through us, but it's also gonna happen through them. So would you stand with me? A few weeks ago, we, we dedicated a baby, Silas, great name, Silas. We dedicated Silas, and effectively, you could summarize the entire child dedication process at this church and many churches up in one sentence. His will, God, not my will. Your will, Lord, for this child, not my will, would sum up what we do when we dedicate babies, dedicate little ones. And I want to just be honest. It's hard. It is hard to trust that the Lord will do a better job raising children than we do. Now, of course, obviously, if it was a test and I said, who does a better job raising children, you or God, you would all get the right answer, right? Because we would all say, yeah, but well, that wasn't very loud. Do you think you do better than God? No, we say, of course, God would do a better job, but it's so hard to let go and trust him with our children. But if, he, if they're going to be the John the Baptists that I'm describing this morning, we got to believe that the safest place in the world for them, for our kids, for our grandkids, for our nieces and nephews, the safest place in the world is in the will of God. That if they're doing what God has called them to do, they will be safer than we could ever create an environment for them to thrive in because he knows them best. And believe it or not, he loves them most. Speak the truth. Speak faith. Affirm their identity. Model a surrendered life. Because whether we see it or not, whether we believe it or not in the moment, we are raising John the Baptists. So I want to pray for us as a church, as moms, as dads, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as, as those who have influence over children this morning. Would you pray with me? And as you shut your eyes to pray, would you think about some of your kids, grandkids, the kids that you think about them specifically, because I want us to pray for them and for ourselves. Father, in Jesus' name, we just think right now about all of these kids, all these kids that are at Grace, that you're bringing more and more in, which is so wonderful, but, but the people that we have influenced, the children we have influence over in our neighborhoods and through our relationships, through our families. Lord, we want to be like Zachariah and Elizabeth. We want to be people that are very specific and intentional about what we say and how we live because they're called to something great. Maybe not John the Baptist level great, but they're called to something that will impact eternity because they're impacting souls. And so, Lord, may we be a, an accessory. May we be a complement, an extension of your work in their lives. May we never be an obstacle to what you want to do in a child or grandchild or niece or nephew's life. But rather, Lord, may our words and may our behavior model faith and boldness and trust and following you no matter what. 
And Lord, for the kids of this church, just to pause for a moment, would you raise up within this church as we cooperate with you an army of influencers in this culture that is very dark, Lord. We admit that, but they are light, just like you are light. May we be discipling, investing, pouring into them so they are not ready just to survive, but to rather thrive and to multiply and to see influence exerted from their lives to push back darkness and to bring light and life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to bless you. If you'd extend your hands. I know you're looking at the clock. Hey, it's a youth service, right? You think they want to be here longer? No, of course not. They get a short service and you do too. Extend your hands in front of you and bless you in the name of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this episode made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com.